You're listening to The Chopping Block, a weekly podcast from City Life Church, where we have short, informal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. If you didn't get the chance to catch last week's sermon, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so that you can pick up with us where the sermon left off. Well, welcome back to The Chopping Block, everyone. I wonder, I wish I knew what episode number would be this was like no clue it's gonna new, be a lot new series though yeah new sermon series i think we do seasons based on sermon series so i think this is this is season four of the chopping block oh, wow we're vets now we yeah. are podcast vets like we don't really need any help at this point but we did start a new sermon series called devoted we said devoted, right? Devoted community. Uh, yeah, yeah. My bad. I'm a pastor here, and I don't know the full on, name bro. of the sermon series. Devoted community, really looking at what a church, what the Bible depicts a church to be, what the church is, what a church should do, and uh, we're really just gonna orbit around that classic text in Acts chapter two, verses forty-two through forty-seven. Um, yeah, we'll bring in some, you know, Acts four, some other places. You brought in a lot of great, great cross references this semester or this Sunday. Wake up, bro! But we will, uh, we'll really stay in Acts two for the next five weeks. Yes. And this week we talked about the fact that this early church, these three thousand believers that are baptized, that believe and are baptized, and in, in Acts two begin to live in a devoted way. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Yep. Um, Hence the name for the for the series. And Yeah. You know, this was somewhat of a setup sermon, yep. kind of an introduction to the series, and so I spent kind of the first part of my time dealing with this idea of devoted community, this idea of... They devoted themselves. Yeah, to and these I, I, I practiced trying to say the Greek word yesterday, but you tell us what the Greek word is there for devoted. Proskeratoreo. Yeah, that's it. Say and it five times fast. No, thank you. <laughs> I would prefer not to cuss. My my, my Arkansas air. my Arkansas history comes out when I start trying to say Greek words. Kairotoreo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I got like a dude. I took smokers sp- lung this morning I took too. Sp- I took Spanish. <laughs> At Columbus High School in Columbus, Mississippi, and there uh-huh. were a couple dudes in there. They're, it was the most countryfied Spanish you've ever heard <laughs> in your life. Well, devoted. So, um, and this word really means to persevere in, to persist in, right? Continually. Uh, so, this is a community that very quickly they go. You know, they hear this message, they believe, they're baptized, and it changes their lives. It changes the way they live. It redefines their community. It redefines their family in a lot of ways, which we'll talk about more this week in the sermon. And and it becomes the central anchor for 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 their daily life. It's it's so hard for us to imagine because a decision a, a decision to be a part of a church in our culture isn't necessarily like world altering. Right. Um, now part of what we're trying to say in this series is maybe it should be a little bit more world altering yeah. than it possibly is for you. But you can, you can attend a church, you can join a church and that not be a complete scandal. But for these guys, it was a new identity 
Um, they believe that they had found the Messiah. Yeah. Um, and pretty quickly that meant that their Jewish relatives who didn't believe Jesus was Messiah were not going to align with them. And so there was the immediate risk of being ostracized from family. Um, and it was kind of viewed as this new sect of Judaism initially until yeah. it eventually became its own thing. But people didn't know what to do with it. And so, yeah, the the church kind of reconstituted life for them, their identity and, and, and the people that they belonged to, and it changed their patterns and rhythms of life. They now began to associate themselves with these other followers of the way, these other Christians. Yeah, and and, you know, we're not going to hammer <laughs> on ourselves and and modern church culture the whole time, but I do think just because there's lots of there's lots of factors, right? The pandemic changed the way a lot of people went to church. A lot of people started going to church online or just leaving. Um, lots of things have happened to church from sinful leadership to you know falls have disin disen uh what chanted disenchanted, disenchanted. I was gonna yep. disenfranchise disenchanted a lot of people yep. with the church. And lots of factors have led into it, but but it seems like in general we have a very low view of the church today in terms of even those who 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 really believe and, and attend on Sunday mornings regularly, still like it can become just a periphery thing that is a part of our lives. It's a it's just a compartment that we check rather than no, this is kind of the central place where my life, my my individual life or my family's life really hovers around in terms of my faith, in terms of my community, in terms of living out the mission that Christ has called us to. And that's what we're trying to in some ways lift up before us in this sermon series to say, hey, this is a much bigger deal that we've been invited in, that we've been uh, saved into. Yep. And we really just want to paint that picture for us. Not, no, like, let's not browbeat people, but like, hey, this is way more beautiful, way more meaningful, way more hopeful and purposeful than you could possibly imagine. And you need it. We yep. need it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The goal is not to make you feel shame for your involvement in church. It's to make you feel longing. Um, we want to paint a picture that says, man, the God's plan for the local church is so beautiful and so good and so enriching that you can't afford to miss out on it. Right. Like you need to be a part of this. And actually your brothers and sisters in Christ need you to be a part of it. Amen. Yeah. Um, and there's no perfect church. They're like we're not a perfect church. You're going to run into other people fighting indwelling sin and who are being sanctified, but God does something really beautiful when we commit to life together and we commit to live centered on his word, as we're talking about today, the apostles' teaching centered on the gospel and to live out this messy, beautiful thing yep. called church. Yeah, amen. So this week we really talked about, there were several like characteristics that kind of uh, made up or that the, that the early church was devoted to. There were things that they really gave themselves to. And the four, the, the things that Luke lists out here in verse 42 is the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking bread, and the prayer. And this week we focused on the apostles' teaching. 
you know, we you 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 made the jump for us that the apostles' teaching really is for us the scriptures. It's the Bible. Right. Why why can we trust that? Why can we trust that the Bible that we have in our hands today as we open it, as we preach from it, as we read from it, that this is the apostles like that the apostles' teaching that the early church was devoting themselves to is included in this, that it is in our Bibles or includes our Bibles. Well, it certainly involves an element of faith, right? Right. Um, I can't give you a, a proof in a scientific sort of way right. that would convince you. But I do think that there are sound arguments for why uh, we believe that the Bible we hold is the apostles' teaching. There's really no debate about the Old Testament among, right? you know, even among Jesus and the Pharisees in the New Testament. They're not debating on, you know, what the sacred scriptures are. There's perfect agreement uh, on the Old Testament. Yeah, Jesus constantly refers right. to it. Um, but when you come to the New Testament, you know, essentially, and I tried to bring some of this out. Jesus is telling the apostles, hey, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to take what is mine and reveal it to you. He's going to bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. Mm -hmm. And so there's this promise from Jesus that after I go away, the Holy Spirit's going to help you mm -hmm. um, in your teaching, in in carrying on my message, right? Then you have like Second Peter 1 where Peter is saying, hey, these aren't man-made prophecies, but men were carried along by the Holy Spirit when they uttered these things, yeah. right? Yeah. You have you have Peter saying about Paul, uh, hey, some of the things that Paul says are really hard to understand. They're deep, as are the other scriptures. And and so what yeah. Peter does in that yeah. moment is he actually says the 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 teachings of Paul, which by that point there were some letters circulating. Yeah is on par with the other scriptures. He, he equates those two. Um, so you have the testimony of an apostle about another apostle, and all of the New Testament is either written by an apostle or someone who is in close association with an apostle. Yeah. Um, with maybe one or two exceptions. We, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Very likely it was, well, there's diff, there's massive debate over who wrote <laughs> Hebrews, yeah. right? Um. And there are different theories. Some say Luke wrote Hebrews, which if he did, he wrote more than a third of the New Testament uh, between Luke, Acts, and Hebrews. Um, some argue, you know, there's there's language there that seems to um, intimate that the writer of Hebrews is actually a second-generation Christian, that they actually yeah. received the gospel from an eyewitness, that they weren't actually an eyewitness, so they would be a second-generation Christian. We don't actually know. Um and so that was honestly early in church history. Um, it, along with one or two other books, was was debated, but it was so quickly and widely recognized as being authoritative, and it aligned with everything else in the New Testament. Um, that very early in church history, it was received and accepted, and that's that would be the ultimate argument I would make: is what you have in church history is you have these letters that the apostles wrote to churches, and you have the Gospels um, beginning to circulate. So a church will read them and study them and teach them as if they're Scripture and then pass them on to the next church, and the same thing is happening. They start to make copies of mm -hmm. these letters and these Gospels very early on in church history so that they can be more widely circulated. And so in the early church fathers... 
uh, you actually have, I think, I think it's something like 96% of the New Testament quoted yeah. by the early church fathers in letters that they were writing, uh, which is amazing to think about, that almost the entire New Testament was quoted by the early church fathers as they taught from these yeah. letters and gospels. And so um, pretty early on in church history, Irenaeus in the second century is making a list of the authoritative texts you know, sometimes, you know, you got Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code and you got, you know, all of these conversations of like, these men came together and decided what was going right. to be scripture and what wasn't. That's not what happened at Nicaea. Right. At the Council of Nicaea in 325, they were merely recognizing what was already understood yes. by the church at large, um, which was that these 27 books um, that we now call the New Testament were authoritative. In other words, they believed that they were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God and that they had an authority in them inherently. Yeah. Unlike any other writing. And so, Amen. you know, it's an inductive argument as you put pieces together, but I think we can stand on solid ground and we have 2000 years of church history where there's very little debate here. Yeah. So even before the full canon was was adopted, listed, recognized the early church was living in these teachings these scriptures these letters the the sayings of jesus the gospels as their scriptures right and what we're saying is when we you know probably two things the one the reason why city life church preaches from the bible every week we center our worship gatherings on the word why we pray the word we sing the word it's because God's people have always been a people of the word, and we see it as the early church devotes themselves yes. to the apostles' teaching. And and I tried to bring some of these other cross-references out in my sermon. Like, you have Paul saying explicit things like, Timothy, don't neglect the gift that you receive through the laying on of hands. And that gift was the gift to teach. It was to preach. Um because in, you know, he says, give careful watch over your life in your teaching, for in doing so, you'll save both yourself and your listeners. Like Timothy, as you give watch over your life and your doctrine, um, that's what's going to help your people ultimately follow Jesus all the way to the end. You know, then he writes again and he says, Timothy, preach the word. Yeah. Um, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, correct with complete patience and gentleness. But stay attached to the word. And the warning right next to that is because people are going to come along and they're going to want to hear what they want to hear. Yeah, They're going to have itching ears to hear what, what they want people to tell them. You need to stay close to the word. Um, and so it's explicit throughout the New Testament that we're called to be people of the word, of the gospel, of the truth. Um, and so it's really important for us. We're building our entire worship gatherings around it. We're building our city groups around Yeah. The scriptures, we really believe that the Bible calls us to be people of the book. Yeah, that's really helpful. And, you know, you talked about really that there is a right way to read and approach the scriptures. But before we get there, maybe to back up in your sermon, uh, you kind of started as we again, we, we, we want to get our eyes up in this series when we're thinking about the church, what the church is and what the church is called to be. You made a statement early on where you said the church is God's plan A for advancing the kingdom in the world, mm. something like that. 
you know, maybe someone hears that and then goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe someone hears that and goes, but you know, we've got all these other great organizations and parachurch ministries and everything like that. And wh- why is the church plan A? Why should we give our time, talent, and treasures to it first and foremost? Because Jesus gave the church the keys of the kingdom. Mm. Right? So um, Matthew 16, who do people say the son of man is? Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah or one of the other prophets. Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And truly I tell you, you are Peter, little rock. And on this big rock, your confession, the, the reality of that I'm Messiah, I will build my church. Jesus is building a church. And then two chapters later, he says to these same disciples, and really the context is church discipline. But he says, to you has been given the keys of the kingdom. And therefore, what you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And what you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. What he's saying there is the my authority I'm now bestowing to you, right? Mm-hmm. Then you go to the Great Commission, and he's commissioning these same disciples who have been given authority to carry on his mission in the world. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching to obey everything that I've commanded. He gives that authority to the church, mm-hmm. right? And then you have language like uh, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 2, too. What you've heard from me and trust to faithful men who will teach others also. There's this passing along of that same authority. The authority is in the gospel. We don't have any authority in ourselves. Right. This is not like a, a popple authority. Like we're not, I'm not going Catholic here. The authority is in Jesus and it's in the gospel message, but he gives that authority specifically to the church. Yeah. Um, and so when I say something like the church is God's plan A for the advancement of his kingdom in the world, I'm trying to be explicitly biblical in that statement. Yeah. I really believe that Jesus gave the authority to the church to carry on his mission in the world. Faithful churches preaching the gospel, living the way that Jesus called us to live, proclaiming the truth. That is where the authority rests. Yeah, that's so good. And we're, But what we're not saying is that, you know, parachurch ministry other mission organizations don't have a role. What we're not saying is they don't play a role and that God's not using those organizations, right? No, that's it's so critical. I think um, the church can't do everything, um, nor is it called to. In fact, I would say that most churches are probably too busy and, um, and not focused enough on what they're called to do, um, which is to make disciples, yeah, to shepherd God's flock. Um, and so parachurch ministries play a critical role in supporting and helping the local church do the work uh, of Jesus in the world. Um, I think where parachurch ministries get it wrong sometimes is when they become an end in themselves yeah, and they begin to try to do the work of the church, right? Um, if the end road of a parachurch ministry is not to reach people and then get them into the life of the local church, I think they're dysfunctional. Yeah. Um, 
Or if the goal of a parachurch ministry is essentially to replace the church and replace the mission of the church, I think they're off base. Uh, But I think they play a critical role. I think we just need to make sure that we're aligning ourselves appropriately. And to your point, the church, local churches cannot export their discipleship on the flip side of that. Sometimes we see organizations that are that do it really well and, and, and are really well staffed and have great frameworks and structures. And we go, well, they're doing it great. Maybe we're, we'll, we'll focus on something else. And, and local churches can't do that. Right. We are to make disciples. A great example of that is seminary. And yeah. I believe in seminary. Um, but many churches have exported completely the role of raising up and training up pastors right. and equipping them for ministry, raising up and training up missionaries to go to other contacts in the world. They just export that. No, it's the, it's the role of the local church to make disciples. We, we can't hand that off. Now, there are times where we go, man, we need help here. We need support here. And there are, there are trained, uh, you know, disciple makers. They're trained experts in certain fields like you don't want me teaching you greek or hebrew yeah um and so that's good um it's good to have seminary for those reasons i'm not anti-seminary i'm pro-seminary i'm i just went back to school (laughs) um but i am uh i'm very convictional that it's the church's job to make disciples yeah and we we can't not have any plan for training people up in the word equipping them to do the work of ministry. And that discipleship is informed by and built upon the apostles' teaching, which is our focus this week. You did such a good job bringing that back. That was so good, what yeah. you just did right there. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. Really growing. Well, there's a lot we could talk about this week. I feel like in some ways this was a sermon setting up the rest of the series, and and maybe even what we just did was hopefully set up the rest of these podcasts. I do think, you know, as we... As we begin to talk about the beautiful mission of the church and the beautiful identity of the church, there are some who maybe haven't experienced that and maybe have actually experienced the opposite of that. They've been hurt by a leader or they've had a bad experience in community or name name, name it, but... They haven't experienced church as beautiful and as hopeful as perfect. They've actually been, they've actually found that outside the church more often than not. Maybe just a pastoral word to those who might, that might be their experience. Someone like, hey, why? Hey, st- stick with us in this series. Mm. Catch the vision for what we're trying to say. Yep. Thoughts there? Great question. One, I'm just if that's if that's been your experience, I'm so sorry, like genuinely, um, and that's you know, that's real, and nobody's asking you to not feel um, what what you feel, right? Um, you know, two, I would say like, there's nobody, you know, looking at their watch, waiting on you to hurry up and figure it out. Mm. So uh, we really want to create a space where. We're leaving room for the Holy Spirit to do his work in your life, and you're not on a timetable. It's a safe place. It's a safe place and um, would even want you to feel the freedom to go, you know what, I just, uh, uh, I need some time to, right. to build my trust back. Um, I need my, I need some time to just try to figure this out. Um, 
So want city life to be a safe place for you. Uh, what I would say very gently, thirdly, is um, you really have a choice between leaning into cynicism and pouring fuel on maybe doubt or leaning in by faith to what Jesus wants for you. Yeah. You know, um, I think one of the things that concerns me most, you know, in all of the language that kind of surface with this deconstructive deconstruction movement, like yeah. of a lot of people, like just deconstructing their faith was what was fueling that was just cynicism. Um, there was some hurt, but there was there was just a ton of cynicism and maybe some cognitive dissonance going what i hear you saying and what i actually see or have experienced there's a massive right, difference right. there and to some degree that's going to be true wherever you are because the church is full of messy people who have not arrived and so getting hurt again is a real risk yeah in fact i would almost tell you it's a guarantee at some point down the line if you're doing community the way that you're supposed to be doing community uh we were actually talking about this in a leader training on sunday um where somebody asked, I think, I think it was Zach, you know, what would you say to the person who goes, man, it's risky to be vulnerable in community. And uh, there's a great line in the Dave Barton song that says, love, it can break your heart. But that's where real love starts. Yeah. And so what you risk by not leaning in is to never experience the beloved community. Mm. It's to never experience the love of Christ in the body. Yeah. Um. And so it may feel safer to to play the role of the cynic yeah. or to just distance yourself or to just stand in the you know on the periphery and kind of be more of a casual observer. Yeah. But you'll never experience the fullness of what Jesus has for you there. And so I would just invite you by faith to know that Jesus loves you. He'll never leave you or forsake you and he wants so much for you and a huge piece of what he wants for you is life and community through the local church. So good. Thanks for shepherding us, shepherding us in that moment. Um, we'd invite you to lean in. We're excited to continue to explore what this beautiful, beloved, devoted community look like in Acts and what God's calling us to be. City Life Church has not arrived yet, but we hope you would lean in with us as we pursue this vision together. Brett, you may have arrived with that bracelet. Thank you. Thank you. I needed that this week. Well, we'll catch you guys next week. And uh, we're not. <laughs> Next week, we'll be at the Harbor Network Leaders Summit. We may do a special episode in Louisville over some Nashville hot chicken. Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. See y'all soon. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about City Life Church or have any questions about the kinds of things we talked about today, you can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card. We'd love to reach out and stay in touch with you. Thanks for listening.